0: You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes as Senior Minister Adam Hale continues our In the Meantime sermon series. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. I want to say a real quick special thank you to all of our adults and sponsors that went on the mission trip and to CIY with our high school group, uh, I appreciate the investment that you're making in their lives. Those are our memories and, and really the foundation of their faith that will carry them on through the next phase of life. And so thank you for your investment in them and what you're doing for them. Uh, it, it does not go unnoticed. This morning, we're in the middle of a series called In the Meantime, and if you missed the last several weeks, uh, you can go back and you can listen to those. They're on, the pod, on our podcast. They're on our website. You can download it off of iTunes. Uh, just search for Glendale Christian Church and, you, and you'll be able to find it. And I would ask you to go back and listen to those because for the last three weeks, we've been answering this question. What do I do when there's nothing that I can do? What do you do when there's nothing you can do? And so each week we've kind of built our answer on that. And so maybe, uh, maybe you find yourself in a set of circumstances or you've been in a set of circumstances. And if you haven't been, you will be in a set of circumstances where you just find yourself in and there are circumstances that you didn't want, you didn't expect, that you never wished for, that you hadn't prepared for. And you're not sure if things are ever going to get any better. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there's no way forward and there's no way out? What do you do? Maybe for you it's relational. Maybe for you it's it's financial. Maybe it's professional. Maybe for you it's it's that family that was once whole and it's now broken and and it just looks like nothing's going to be the same and, and you're just kind of left wondering about what to do. Maybe it's that family member that got a call from the doctor or someone that you know got a call from a doctor and they they got some bad news and and it you know, It just kind of feels like God is absent. And you're wondering, you're, you're in this time, this in the meantime set of circumstances, and you're wondering, where, what do you do when there's nothing that you can do? And what do you do when, when you don't plan for, for this or prepare for this? And, and if you've ever been in in the meantime circumstance, or you're currently in the meantime, then you can't help but conclude these three things. It's the three things we talked about the very first week of this series. That I'll never be happy again. And that nothing good can come from this. And there's no point in continuing. Because when we find ourselves in a a set of circumstances, when we're left wondering, what do we do? Because there are no good options. Those are the three lies that Satan begins to tell us. And those are the three lies that we begin to believe. This morning, in just a few moments, we're going to look at John chapter 9. And we're going to look at a question that the disciples asked Jesus, and it's actually a question that we looked at a couple months ago. But but before we get to that, I want to just tell you about a, a time in my life where I felt like I was in the meantime, and I felt like uh, nothing good was going to come from the set of circumstances that I was in, and that really there wasn't any point in continuing on in what I was doing because, like I said, there was just no no point, uh, no good thing that was going to come from it. In 2015, I was serving as an associate minister at the church that I was at before I came here. And I tell you, in 2015, I was as professionally frustrated as I have ever been. There were multiple mornings where I would wake up and before I would go to the office, I would ask myself, is this really what I want to do? Is this really what I want to do today? Is this really what I want to do tomorrow? Is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? And much of the frustration just stemmed from a feeling of not being effective. And in fact, I kept asking myself that question a lot. Am, am I being effective? Am I really making a difference? Because I'll be real honest with you, there were there were more than one occasion where I felt like what I was doing wasn't making any kind of difference in in the lives of people around me or even in my own life. And so there were many days where I would go in before everybody else got to the office or maybe I would stay late and after everybody left the office and I would type up a resignation letter. And I would you know if I typed it up in the morning I said I'll deal with it at the end of the day. Or if I typed it up at the end of the day I said I'll deal with it in the morning. But there were multiple mornings uh, multiple days where I just said I don't think that this is what I want to do anymore. And it seemed like during that season of life during that season of in the meantime every conversation that I had with anyone was all about what was wrong with their life it was it was all of these problems that they had and and it didn't matter if it was in the church or at home or or people that I would meet at the grocery store and I'm just talking up to them rant, random strangers even and it seemed like everything every conversation was all about this problem that they had and honestly I'll tell you my attitude became, I wish I could just fix your problem because it would be a lot easier for me to just fix it than to have to continue to you listen and tell me about your problem. And I'll tell you, that's not a great attitude. But it really was. It was if I could just fix your problem. And then a little later in 2015, there was a, uh, our church went through a, another transition. In fact, we had a, a staff resignation that ultimately led to a church split. And I can tell you that if you've ever, never been a part of a church split, you don't want to. They're not fun. In fact, I'll tell you, it was, it was the most painful thing that I've ever been a part of as far as a church. Um, there were people that, good Christian people, that all of a sudden wouldn't speak to you because they thought you had done some. Or good Christian people that wouldn't speak to other people because they thought you were picking sides. And it was a painful experience. And, and it was uh, really during that time where I thought, okay, I'm, I'm sure I don't want to do this anymore. In fact, God, there's got to be something better because if this is as good as it get, gets, God, then I I, want out. I, don't, I don't want any part of this because, because this makes me understand why people view the church the way that they view the church oftentimes, why non-Christians view the church the way that they do because there was a lot of turmoil and conflict and it's just like, there's got to be something better than this and God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And then conversations with people just became, again, more and more about problems and people were upset and they were they were bringing up things that they'd been upset for years about but now because we had this conflict in our church they had a an opportunity to voice their concern and their their displeasure with everything that was going on and it just seemed like kind of I was taking the brunt of those conversations and I began viewing everybody's problems That's how I began to view people as problems to fix and problems to solve. And that was my attitude toward if you came to talk to me, you were just another problem to solve. You were a problem to fix. And the church became a problem to solve and a problem to fix instead of people to love. And there were finally, I was just having kind of a pity party one night, kind of a poor me session. And I was talking to one of our elders and then in another conversation with another elder, and then a conversation with a mentor, they all basically told me the same thing, was, uh, just in different words, but they said this. "Is said, Adam, you've got to stop trying to fix everyone's problems, because you can't. Some of these problems have nothing to do with you. Some of these problems are, are years old. Some of these problems will never be fixed this side of heaven. You can't try to fix everybody's problem. What you can do is just love them. Meet them where they're at, see them where they're at, understand that they have problems, and love them. Don't try to fix their problem, just love them. And so as church became a problem to solve instead of people to love, that's what I tried to, began to try to do. I tried to quit seeing people as problems and start seeing them as people who just needed to be loved on. But that's the, that's the natural inclination, though, when something goes wrong, when something bad happens, when something uh, tragic happens, it's easy for us to look at it and jump into problem-solving mode, especially for men. Men, this is just the way we're wired. We're problem-solvers. In fact, even in first service, there was a, right before we started, uh, there was an issue that with one of the microphones, and we needed some batteries, you know, not a, not a big deal. And John Bell found some batteries, and he said, that's why they call me the problem-solver, right? Because that's what men do. We solve problems. When... When your wife comes to you and she wants to talk to you and she wants to tell you about her day and about all the problems, what do you do, men? You you listen for about five minutes, right? And you've got a solution, right? And so what you really want to say is, all right, shut up, I got this. I know, just listen to me, I'll tell you exactly what to do. Now, men, don't say that because that's not how women are wired because women, they just want to tell you about their problems. They don't want you to solve it, they just want to tell you about it. And so if you tell them, shut up, I've got this figured out, well, you've just created another problem. And so, so don't do that. But when something goes wrong, we go into this, this damage control mode, this solve problems, this solving problem mode, and we begin to ask some questions and we want, because we want to move past it. We want to avoid it. We want to get through it as quickly as possible because we want to suffer as less as possible. And so when, when we go into this, into this damage control mode, we begin to ask questions and that's perfectly natural. It's normal for us to ask questions and we ask questions kind of like this like why did this happen we want to know who's at fault who's to blame we want to know how long is this going to last you know God if if you're going to put me through a season of life I want to know how long this season is because if it's if it's for a couple days I think I can make it right so tell me how long this season of life is going to last God are are you mad at me how many of you've ever thought God was mad at you It happens. We think God's mad at us. We think, God, are you punishing me? God, did I do something to deserve this? Is the the circumstances in my life a result of something that I did? You begin to ask yourself those questions, and you start to ask other people those questions. You start to ask God questions, and those questions, like I said, they're perfectly normal. We ask this question all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever asked that question? I know I've asked it. Because we look around around at the people that we know, the good people that we know. And we see bad things happen to them and we say, that's not fair. That's not right. That shouldn't have happened to them. And we begin to look at it and say, okay, well, if if that's going to happen, how do we figure this out? How do we solve this problem? And so we ask questions. Why does it happen? Who's to blame? Who's at fault? And again, it's perfectly normal. In fact, it's, it's so normal that people all throughout history have been doing this. From the beginning of time, people have been asking the question, whose fault is it? Who's to blame? In fact, in the Old Testament, people asked that the Israelites, when, when something bad would happen, they would, point, they would say, okay, which person sinned? When, when uh, Job was going through his turmoil, his friends came to him and said, okay, Job, what did you do? You you've had to have done something. This is your fault. What did you do? In the new testament we see it too people always ask the question who's at fault what's to, who's to blame in fact in john chapter 9 what we're going to look at in just a minute even the friends and the followers the disciples of jesus asked the very same question in john chapter 9 we read about a man who was born blind and this story, we, we talked about this a couple months ago, we read the whole story, but today I just want to focus on these three verses, because Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road, and they come across a man, and this is what it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? In other words, whose fault is this? Who's to blame for this man's blindness? You know, I think about that question. And, I, and just picture Jesus and his disciples walking along the road, and they come up, up on this blind man, and they see the the man, and he's blind. Obviously, they know he's blind. He's been there before. And so the disciples ask this question, Jesus, who sinned? Whose fault is it that this guy's born blind? And i got to think, you know, that was probably a little bit offensive to the blind man. He's probably sitting there thinking, you know, I'm blind. I can't see you, but I'm not deaf. I can hear you. You're standing right next to me. Why are you asking that kind of question? And we get that. We get the 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 offensiveness of sometimes of of sincere questions but oftentimes at the wrong time questions and if you have small kids you understand this when Eli was about three we went into to Kroger or to Walmart or something and there was a lady who was wearing shorts and she had varicose veins and Eli as we we're passing by saw him and she said, Eli looked at me and he said Daddy how come that lady gets to draw on her legs Said yes, son. You know. What do you do when there's nothing you can do, right? But Jesus sees the question. He hears the question, and he says, "It's not the man's fault." Lucky for us, he says, "It's not the man's fault." Great for for the man that he says it's not his parents' fault. But even better for us that he says it's not the man's fault because because what do we do if 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 it's our fault right if it's this man's fault that that Jesus that he's blind if it's this man's fault then what are we going to do with this story because we know at the end of the story here in a few minutes if if you keep reading that in a few moments Jesus is going to perform a miracle he's going to heal the man but the point of the story is not the miracle. Because if the point of the story is the miracle, then what do we do with, with our relationships and our, our, our brokenheartedness and our, just our brokenness in general and all the bad things that maybe we've ever experienced? If the point of the story is the miracle and that Jesus intervene, intervened in a good way for him, then what do we do for, with, with all the times that Jesus didn't intervene the way that we wanted him to? See, the point of the story is not that Jesus performed a miracle. The point of the story is how Jesus responded to the question. Who sinned? Whose fault is it? Who's to blame? And this is what Jesus said. He said, Neither this man nor his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's like Jesus doesn't even get distracted by the question. He doesn't get bogged down in that they're trying to to point blame and, and point Uh, A fault out it's like he doesn't even get distracted by it because he's like you're just focusing on the wrong thing you're focusing on who's to blame who's at fault but really what you need to focus on is what i'm trying to do this man's born blind so that the works of god might be displayed in his life jesus says you're focusing on the wrong thing your focus is on all that's going bad, all, that, all, the, all the turmoil, all the conflict that's around you. That's what you're focused on. But what, to, what you really need to be focused on is what am I trying to do in your circumstance? That's why it's our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to say, what went wrong? What do I focus on? How do I figure it out? How do I avoid this? But God is more concerned, listen to me on this, God is more concerned with how He can be on display in your circumstance than He is necessarily with what's wrong with your circumstance. Don't get me wrong in this. Don't, Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is not concerned with your circumstances. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that God is more concerned with how He might be shown through your circumstance. And it's completely possible it is completely possible that God can be on display in the meantime for you and in the meantime for me, and that God might be on display and we not even see it. And we don't even realize it, that God could be doing something incredible in the meantime for you and for me, and we don't know that it's happening. You know, you've, you've probably heard it said that hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like anybody ever used that expression, hindsight's twenty twenty, And it just means this, that whenever I'm in the middle of a circumstance, whenever I'm in the middle of a situation, whenever I'm in the meantime, I'm in over my head and I feel like something difficult's going on. That all I can focus on is what's going on around me, that's what's happening to me. Because that's, that's our nature, that's human nature. We want to focus on what's wrong. We want to focus on how to figure out the problem, how to, how to move forward. But once I step out of the situation, once enough time and distance have passed, then I can, I can look back and I can see much more clearly. I can look back and I can say, well even though in the meantime or even though in that moment or even in that season, you know, I didn't see anything good happening from this, but now I can see, I can see where God might have moved. I can see how God worked. I can see so much more clearly. And maybe, maybe in all of our situations, it's a little different. Maybe for you, it's, you know, I, I met somebody and now my life is much better because of this. And that situation brought me to that person. Or maybe it's I had to get rid of a person in my life. You know, They were not a good influence in my life and that was a painful thing to go through. Friendships and marriages and all of those things that break up, they're painful. But sometimes they have to happen and you look at it and you say, okay, my, my life is much healthier now because of it. My relationships with other people are better and, and I can say that hindsight is 20-20 because now I'm on the other side of it. Because when we focus on what's wrong, we lose sight of what's right when you focus on what's wrong you lose sight of what god is making right because whenever we're focused on on what's over here on who's to blame or or what went wrong we miss what god might be doing in the midst of our meantime we always focus on what's wrong if we always focus on what's wrong we never see what god is making right we lose sight of what god is doing in the midst of our circumstances and and this is this is important it's important to recognize that what I feel like needs to be made right and what you feel like needs to be made right isn't always what God feels like needs to be made right. Okay? And the other thing about that too is that we need to understand, we need to recognize is that the timing of when God makes things right, you know, the timing of which I think things need to happen, or the timing in which you think things need to happen, isn't always the timing in which God thinks things need to happen. But I can tell you this: whenever I realized this, this whole idea that I had to quit focusing on what was wrong and focusing on on what God was making right on God on on how God was being displayed in my circumstances whenever I realized that it changed everything for me it changed my it changed my mindset it changed my attitude it changed my marriage it changed how I interacted with my kids it changed how I how I viewed people at church it changed how I wanted to do ministry, it changed everything for me. It was life transforming this idea that I had to quit focusing on all of these problems. Many of which I could not control and could not fix anyway. And begin to focus on what God was trying to make right. On how God was trying to be on display in my life. So imagine with me for a second imagine that you were somehow able to focus less on what went wrong and more on what god what god what is it that you're doing what are you doing to make this right what are you doing to be on display in this in this circumstance what would happen if that became our our attitude. If that became our perspective, God, I'm not going to focus on everything that's going wrong. I'm not going to focus on all the turmoil, all the conflict, all the stuff that's uh, the noise and, and the distractions that are around me. But instead, I'm just going to focus on what you're trying to do in this situation. What kind of weight would that lift off of our shoulders? What kind of pressure would that take off of us? What would happen in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our families, in in our church? We just said, all right, God, yeah, there's a lot of noise around me. But instead of focusing on everything that's wrong and everything that I don't like, I'm going to focus on what you want to accomplish in this set of circumstances. How would that change the way that we looked at things, the way that we looked at our family, the way that we looked at church? How would it change the people around you, the people who see who see you and see these insurmountable odds, these, these undesirable circumstances and they say that you should not be able to survive this you know and things that they say we would not be able to survive this if we were in your shoes and they see it and they see the way that you respond and they see you with hope and with faith and with love and with joy and with and with peace what would it do to their relationship with their heavenly father if they were able to see that in you I realize that this isn't easy, and I know so many of your stories make my story seem very simple. I get that. I really do, but I need you to know this today. I need you to, to know that today I'm not up here necessarily as your pastor, as your preacher, as, as a church staff member. Today I am simply here as someone who wants to lock arms with you and, and say, say this to you, that I have been in the meantime. I know what it is like to feel like God has abandoned you, to feel like God is is absent and that God just doesn't care. I understand what that feels like, and I know that it's not true. But if you feel like that, then you need to understand that God is not absent, God is not angry, and God is not apathetic. We've been saying that for weeks now. But I want you to understand this, that I have seen it, I have been there, I have felt it, And I have seen the worst it has to offer. And yet, somehow God has graciously been on display in the middle of it. And I need you to know this. I need you to know that no matter how dark it seems, no matter how absent God feels, no matter how hopeless you think you are, no matter how close your back is to the wall, I need you to know that you can make it through it. That whatever circumstances you are in, you can make it through it. You can survive. Because I've seen far too much to deny that this is anything other than a gift from our Heavenly Father with a gift, with a, with a purpose and a promise. It's almost like God has been saying to me at times, Adam, I know this has the potential of breaking your heart. Adam, I know this has the potential to overwhelm you. Adam, I know this has the potential to, to make your knees buckle and to cause you to worry about your future and about your family and about everything else that's on around, going on around you. But I want to be with you. I want to wrap my arms around you and I want to be on display in your life. I want to make something beautiful from, from what you feel is terrible. I want to do that. And it's almost like God is asking for permission. Will you let me do it? Will you just focus on me long enough to let me do this in your life? And I think the same is true for, for you today. I think that God could possibly be giving you a story to tell and an audience to tell it to. And look, I realize we all have a story to tell. We need to understand that all of us have a story to tell. We all have heartaches and brokenness. And we all have, have events in our lives that we, we would not wish on anybody else. We all have a story to tell. And we all have an audience to tell it to. And I realize, and, and so maybe, 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 just maybe God has given you a story to tell and an audience to tell it to. And so no matter what's going on in your your life, I just want to just take a moment to let you breathe and imagine with you what would happen if that we could somehow in the meantime realize that God is not absent or apathetic or angry. And that in the meantime that we could figure out that we could receive this adversity, this set of circumstances as a gift with a purpose and a promise. What if in the meantime we were able to learn the secret of contentment That it is Christ in us, empowering us. You know, we can't. We said that last week. Remember what we said? We said, I can't. But He can. And He can through us. What if we were to, to learn the secret of contentment? What if we were able to turn our attention to focus, to not be distracted by all the questions and all the noise and all the pain, and say, God, what are you doing in this? And how can you be on display in this set of circumstances? Because in the meantime, hurts. Let's be real honest about it. In the meantime hurts. It's, it's, it stinks. Nobody wants to go through an in the meantime set of circumstances. But it's like God saying, need, I need you to focus on me so that you can see me in your life. What if we were somehow able to trust that God could make right, which we think seems so wrong. Because if I believe anything, If my story says anything, and if your story says anything, it says that God, our Heavenly Father, is is in the business of making something beautiful from what we feel like has been terrible. Remember what I told you last week, or maybe a couple weeks ago, that at at the epicenter of all of our adversity is where God has the potential to do His greatest work in your life. At the epicenter of of that in the meantime set of circumstances is where God has the potential to do the greatest work in your life, where God has the potential to be on display greater than any other moment in your life if you will just let Him. But you have to let Him. You have to make the decision that I'm not going to focus on everything that's going bad around me. All All of this noise, all of these distractions, all of these things that I think are so awful, all these problems, I'm not going to focus on them. Yeah, I'm going to have to deal with them, but I'm not going to focus on them. I'm going to focus on what God can do in my circumstance, and my situation. Is it possible that God is somehow wanting to make something beautiful from what you feel is terrible? I think it is. And it all comes down to what are we going to focus on? The bottom line for this message is simply this. What are we going to focus on? Are we going to focus on what we we think is wrong? we Are going to lose sight of what God has made right? Are we going to focus on how God can be on display in our life, in our circumstances, whatever they might be? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we are... We are convinced of your power, the power that you have to change circumstances, to, to remove obstacles, to make life as smooth, free as possible. We are convinced that you have the power to do so. But if you choose not to, Father, if you choose not to, if you choose not to intervene in the way that we, we want you to, Father, may our response be that you're going to be on display in our circumstances. That your power would be displayed in our circumstances. We're not going to worry about whose fault it is, who's to blame, who's, who, who's done something to us. you know, what, Whatever the case might be, we're just simply going to focus on how you might be displayed in our life. And we're going to let the power of God shine through us. As, as Brother Mike always says, we're going to let our light shine so that others might see the faith and the joy, and the love, and the peace that we have that comes from only knowing You and knowing that You hold the whole world in Your hands. Father, this morning we pray that if if someone's here is is in the meantime, their life is not what they expected it to be, their life is not what they want it to be, that if they're here this morning and that they need to give their life over to You to begin to, to see your power displayed in their life, Father, I pray that they would come. I pray that they would step out and they would make the decision to follow you. Father, for those who have already be, who have been following you for, for months, we, weeks, years even, decades, that they would simply use this next few moments as, a, as an opportunity to renew their commitment to you, to renew uh, their focus on you. Father, we pray that as a church we might begin to focus more about how you can be on display in our lives individually but also corporately so that people who do not know you yet will begin to see your power and will come to a saving relationship with you. We pray this all in the name of the most powerful Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen.